This morning, we launch into a new series called The Misunderstood God. And the reason we do this is predicated off of just having moved out of a series in Philippians. We needed something in the midst of all things. We don't know what's going to happen for Easter. Uh, So we're just praying and seeing what the Lord has for us. What a beautiful thing that the work of God continues. Now hopefully you've heard me say that enough times that you're getting the hint. So as we have had to adjust with technology in order to uh, have our community, it's been fascinating. I uh, spent a little bit of extra money to boost our sermon last week. And in doing that, we got some interesting responses from people who really weren't excited about hearing or seeing our services. And that's okay. That's fine. You know, Facebook is a public format. I just encourage you that today, if you're tuning in, you're saying, what is this? Or in this moment, you're coming upon this, you're saying, why is this on my feed? Uh, You can either just disregard it, or if for some reason you've clicked on it and you're here and you're at this point and you're wondering what this is, I encourage you, listen, seek. Maybe God has an appointment with you right now. And I, and I actually believe one of the individuals that responded uh, in, in what I would say a, um, a wounded, uh, critical fashion um, was not happy about seeing our post and engaged with me in a little bit of dialogue. And we're going to launch this whole series based off of his comment, one of his comments. Because I truly believe that this is the challenge that we face with misunderstanding God. And in so many facets, we misunderstand God. So let me give you the opening statement this morning. His quote, and we'll call him FB316, all right? FB316, in one of his salvos, says, with a little flavor of snarkiness, which I love, he says, well, well, when is your God going to actually do some work? Seems like all he's interested in is sin. This individual went to seminary and uh, claimed to have a a great understanding of God, sees God as a charlatan, and yet the other things that are connected to this person is that they have fully embraced those things that are not righteous, those things that are not of God. And it seems like there's a lot underneath the surface for this person. And it seems like there's a consistency as I engaged in a very small sample size. But it seems like this individual is much like those that that may be tuned in today or maybe we interact with. That want nothing to do with God. I would say, just based off of the small sample size that I had with this individual, that he has a misunderstanding of God. And by this very statement, he has a misunderstanding of God. And so, as we go into this series, today we're going to do an opener out of John 9. You can turn there. And I was praying that the Lord would give a a solid passage of Scripture to help us understand why we have this problem of misunderstanding God. 
Part of what we might be dealing with even now is family members, individuals, maybe those who are tuned in right now. Why is this happening? All of this challenge, all of what's going to happen in the economy, individuals losing their lives, why is this happening if God truly is in charge? And so therefore, be, if God claims to be in charge, but He allows these things to happen, I, I want nothing to do with that God. That's a fair statement, but I would say it's a misunderstanding of who God is. And so maybe through a story that John gives us out of chapter 9, we can start to unravel how we might see ourselves in the midst of this and these these tensions that we have with how do we take the idea of a loving God, an all-powerful God, and when there is suffering and difficulty in the world, and we'll hit this again in various facets over the series, I think this fits incredibly well today. And I'm just going to encourage you to remember this statement. I was blind, but now I see. I was blind, but now I see. Do we want to understand God? That's part of the challenge. John writes this Gospel. It's one of the latest, I think it is the latest Gospel, um, or the last Gospel to be written. He writes it as a defense, helping people understand this is who Jesus is. This is how you can know Jesus. That word know happens over and over and over in John's, in John's Gospel. And so he writes this, and so if, if John approaches this decades after the fact, after Jesus has done His work, died, rose again, and ascended to heaven, you've got to ask yourself, why is it that John decides to put into his anthology of stories what he decides to put in there? He even says at the end of his book that there's so much more. But wait, there's more. But he says, I don't have enough time. I don't have enough paper. I don't have enough ink to record all the incredible things that Jesus accomplished. And by implication, he's saying, what I have put in here is everything you need to know Jesus. So, that's fascinating because this chapter 9 made the cut. It's this incredible story. It, it makes for great drama. It makes for great Hollywood. There's nothing boring about this story. So kids, pay attention to the story. Parents, go over the story with your kids afterwards because it's really exciting. There's a, a wide cast of characters. And I would challenge you, you're going to hear this comment over and over, the glory of God, the glory of God. And this really is the impetus behind this series. Brothers and sisters, we look at this question about a misunderstood God from the wrong angle. Coming up next week, it's my hope to have a great prop that's going to help us connect with this and see things a little bit more clearly. We often interpret God through our lens. We fail to see God's work, which that's easy to understand. We're not God. We, we are finite. He is infinite. That's why this passage, who has known the mind of the Lord? Who has ever counseled God? Who has ever given to God that God should give back to Him? There are things that are bigger and larger than our traditions. There is the truth of God, and He surpasses our lens, our focus. 
And so this morning as we look at this, Jesus says it's not because of sin. God is not obsessed with sin. God is not obsessed with uh, beating down the parents or beating down the individual. Who is? It is the disciples that are casting aspersions upon this man that his, his malady, his blindness is connected to sin. So Jesus heals him. Tells him to go wash. Then we fast forward and we see neighbors. And those who had seen him before as a beggar were saying, is this not the same man who used to sit and beg? Uh Uh-oh. Controversy. Something's stirring. Something's happening. Something that goes beyond reasoning or understanding. Wait, we knew this guy. He, He used to beg down the corner. How can he be walking around? How... How is it he sees? Is this not the man who used to sit and beg? Some said, yeah, that's him. The others said, no, but he's like him. Does this sound like a clearly thinking, alert group of people? It sounds like us on any given Monday morning without coffee. Yeah, yeah, that's him. Uh, I don't know if that's really him. Put a group of people together and they're never going to agree, folks. But isn't that fascinating? I mean, this is an incredible Hollywood script. You've got Jesus walking with the disciples. They see a a blind man begging. And and then here comes the controversy of the bad tradition. All right, what sin has made this man? Jesus says, no sin. No sin. It doesn't always have to be sin. Maybe this was done so God could do His work through this individual. And so He heals him. And there's this incredible healing. That, that, that changes an individual's life. And now the public weighs in on it. Aren't we so good at that? There will be responses like I received last week. There will be responses to this sermon. And the public will weigh in. The most important part is whether or not God will use this. The most important part about this message is whether or not God will use it. The most important part about this healing is that it pointed to the glory of God. But the, the controversy abounded with the neighbors. And the neighbors were saying, ah, it's this guy, this is amazing. Ah, I don't really think it's that guy because I'm skeptical, I'm cynical, and I'm a, I'm a good thinker. And that would be impossible, so therefore it's really not this guy. Don't we do this all the time? says, no, but he is like him. He kept saying, I'm the guy. I'm the guy. I'm the guy. Let me just settle it for all of you. It's me. That's the truth. Let me take the controversy out. Let me take the misunderstanding out. Brothers and sisters, for many of us, we have a challenge with this because God does a healing in our own life, and yet how many of us, when given the opportunity, will give strong testimony? It's me. I'm changed. It's incredible. It's miraculous. Why is this man blind? Is it because of sin? Is it because of generational sin? Jesus said it's so that the works of God might be displayed in Him. The next question for us to be able to get a better grasp on who God is and not have a misunderstanding is this question. What kind of God makes someone blind so that He can just later heal them? Right? Let's let's be real. Let's be honest. That's a great question. If, if Jesus says that this man has been blind from birth, 
so that God can manifest His glory. Doesn't that sound like an incredibly egotistical God? That this individual would suffer that long to the point of having to beg and have the reputation in town of being the beggar just so that God could promote Himself. That's a fair question. But honestly, the reason we get to that very real and often executed question in various forms is because we're looking at it through our lens, not God's lens. And there's a fascinating discovery in this story that we're going to unveil here that's going to neutralize all of those questions. If you allow it. The reason I have to throw the qualifier is that there's a whole group coming up that even though it's right in their face, even though they can't deny it, according to truth, they still hold to their tradition. Because they would rather hold to their tradition than the reality of an incredibly changed life. They would rather look at God through a distorted lens of their own interpretation rather than the truth of who God is and how God is at work and how God works to save us out of sin and death. FB 3.1.16 or 3.1.6 or whatever your, your handle is. Actually, let me just be clear about this because I feel the conviction. That's not as, I, I, that's, I'm protecting the, the uh, tech world there. That's not his real thing. That's just it's his uh, handle that I gave him. Why would sin, or what kind of God makes someone blind so that he can just later heal him? We require this of God, otherwise we wouldn't pay attention. If everything was as it will be in heaven, there is a history of mankind with God. And what happens is God gives us that blessing. This is an amazing point. God gives us that blessing. Right? So if you're not the individual who's blind, and you want to accuse God of being egotistical, a megalomaniac, because this individual is blind and there's no sin involved, and yet God's, Jesus says, this is so that God's work can be manifested in Him to God's glory. Your response may be, wow, egotistical God. Well, conversely, logic would say, if you really think that that happened that way, then God gave you your sight your entire life. Why would you not praise Him for your sight? If you truly think that way. But we forget about that aspect. We just want to be critical because there's something else lying underneath. And we're going to get to that. There's something else lying underneath this nefarious as to why we misunderstand God. So we require this of God because God gives us these moments where we have everything. Life is good. And what happens? We forget about God. We stop worshiping God. Because we have everything we need. And our lives are so cluttered with so much. Just like we see the nation of Israel. Just like we see the rich young ruler. That we say we don't have time for God. Brothers and sisters, this relates directly to where we are right now. Many of us have a lot more time on our hands than we've had in the past. Many of us are being able to redeem time with our families that they desperately needed. And now we understand what was being sacrificed. As we're having these moments that we had given up, we had surrendered in light of 
all these things we built into our lives, there's only so much time that we have in a day. But, but here's what's fascinating is that as we build these things into our lives, something's got to give. And Scripture shows us the history of man is that when we are blessed with so much, we no longer work God into our schedule. We have busied ourselves so much. And that's where this story is going. Is that the religious leaders, the Pharisees, had busied themselves so much with the law that they had distorted the law and they missed understanding God. I really encourage you, redeem the time. As you and I have been afforded the opportunity to set aside some of these luxuries and things have been stripped back, I've heard this past week about, well, I can't wait till things get back to normal. I have a question. Who am I looking at? There's nobody in the room right now. I have a question. What would happen if the internet went down while you're sheltered in place? What would you do? How many Netflix movies have you watched? How much YouTube have you done this week? Rather than filling that time with God. Now many of us have brought back healthy things into our lives. People are actually exercising. They're feeling better for the first time. I don't know if you've heard, but the ozone is now healed and climate change has stopped because man for two weeks has ceased to leave its carbon footprint all over the world. We are redeeming back some things, brothers and sisters. But the challenge is when we have been given the opportunity to have so much, we forget about God. And I'll take you to the story of of Lazarus a personal friend of Christ. And Lazarus died not because of sin of his own recourse, but he died because of the sin of the world. And Jesus could have healed him. And here it is, the misunderstood God, even by Mary and Martha, right? That that Jesus waits. And He lets the disciples know, no, we're not going yet. Not yet. And what's implied in this passage out of John is that Jesus waits just long enough so that Lazarus can die. So that by the time Jesus and the disciples arrive, Mary and Martha greet Him out on the road. Oh, they didn't greet Him. It's almost as if the text says they beat on Him, wailing, saying, why did you wait? You could have healed Him. He didn't have to die. And this is the passage where it says Jesus wept. So FB 3.16 God is not enamored with sin. He is enamored with freeing us from sin. And if you know the rest of that story, you know that Jesus called out to Lazarus, Lazarus, come out. And He brought him out of death. And if you know the story later, they're actually gathered at Lazarus' house. Now, if, if we superimpose ourselves into Lazarus' position, I would almost think we would struggle with bitterness. Really? Really? You used me to teach a lesson? Blind man, really? You used me to teach a lesson? Could you just play God with somebody else? And can't I have my... Here's what's fascinating, brothers and sisters, is that 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 insipid idea comes into our minds and keeps us 
separated from God because we have a misunderstanding of who God is. What's fascinating is Lazarus, Mary, Martha were gathered with him eating in an intimate fashion later on in the week. There was no bitterness by any of them. Even Mary and Martha who were wailing. And this is where it says Jesus wept. Jesus wept because His friends had to go through this pain, had to go through this suffering, so that you and I would see that Jesus actually has the power over sin and death. Is this because of God or is this because of man? It's because of us. It's because we refuse to simply take truth on its face. We refuse the righteousness of God. We refuse the goodness that it's almost like we have to go through this struggle in order to wake up and see God and see Jesus for who He actually is. Do not conflate God as someone who sits in heaven with a push button to inflict suffering. God inserted Himself into this world to alleviate the suffering. And yet, Romans 8 tells us that all of creation is suffering. And I'll get there here in a moment. Let me lead you back to this question. I I deviated for a moment. Why would sin be associated with this man's blindness? Well, we've already talked about it a little bit. Antiquity has always associated maladies with curses from God or the gods. And not just the disciples' tradition, but all civilizations saw uh, that, that problem. So Romans 8, verses 20-23, through 23, Paul gives an understanding as to why there is so much brokenness. Why this is happening with the blind man. Why this is happening with Lazarus. Right? And he's, he gives a perspective that is the proper lens to look through. You'll understand my over-exuberance on that point starting next week. Look at verse 20 of chapter 8 in Romans. For the creation was subjected to futility. That word futility is the understanding of frustration. And in essence, sin. It's an eagerness of non-fulfillment. Of being blocked. Of not having an option. And it says, not willingly, but because of Him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain freedom of the glory of the children of God. Paul is saying that because of the sin of one man, Adam, that all of creation is now broken. This is why you have the suffering. This is why you have the sin. This is why you have the challenges in life. But God was not satisfied. To have a true understanding of who God is and Jesus is to see that He inserted Himself as an answer to sin. As an option of freedom from sin. It goes on and says, For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons. Here it is. The redemption of our bodies. Why is it that we're having this issue with coronavirus? It was interesting. I saw something yesterday in the news where there was a news article from 101 years ago in this nation. And that news article was a mandate from 
uh, I believe it was a county in the Midwest, where it laid down the rules about the Spanish flu pandemic. No gathering in public, all social meetings, all churches, all restaurants, all eateries, all businesses, um, and, and on and on and on, were to cease meeting above 10 people. Do you wonder where we got this 10 number? People reference back what happened when the Spanish flu came about. Brothers and sisters, the creation is broken. The coronavirus, the Spanish flu, SARS, whatever it is, these are mutations that happen because the creation is broken. But the beautiful illustration of it is that God creates a way for freedom from sin. There will be an antidote for uh, us to escape, and there was for the Spanish flu, there have been. Mankind is still going. Mankind is still going. And so, Romans 8 gives a clear understanding. Turn to Romans 6, and then I'm going to wrap up this morning with the end of the story. And so Romans 6, 20-23, this is in context to FB 3.16, talking about God's uh, obsession with sin in our lives. And so 6, 20-23 says this, For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. You could not know righteousness if you are a slave to sin. But what fruit were you getting at the time from the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. In other words, the end of a lifestyle of sin is death. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, in other words, devoted to God, owned by God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen? And so, in answer to your question, FB 316, God is not enamored with sin. In your tradition, and I'll just share it. No, I won't. In your tradition... The, the theology that you grew up under was very, very focused on sin. But that wasn't because of God. That was because of man's distortion and manipulation for power. And so I apologize. I'm sorry. Because those individuals that, that by your own testimony, were very much the same individuals that we're about to see. You're going to hear this comment over and over, the glory of God, the glory of God. And this really is the impetus behind this series. Brothers and sisters, we look at this question about a misunderstood God from the wrong angle. Coming up next week, it's my hope to have a great prop that's going to help us connect with this and see things a little bit more clearly. We often interpret God through our lens. We fail to see God's work, which that's easy to understand. We're not God. We, we are finite. He is infinite. That's why this passage, who has known the mind of the Lord? Who has ever counseled God? Who has ever given to God that God should give back to Him? 
There are things that are bigger and larger than our traditions. There is the truth of God, and He surpasses our lens, our focus. And so this morning as we look at this, Jesus says it's not because of sin. God is not obsessed with sin. God is not obsessed with uh, beating down the parents or beating down the individual. Who is? It is the disciples that are casting aspersions upon this man that his, his malady, his blindness is connected to sin. So Jesus heals him. Tells him to go wash. Then we fast forward and we see neighbors. And those who were had seen him before as a beggar, were saying, is this not the same man who used to sit and beg? Uh Uh-oh. Controversy. Something's stirring. Something's happening. Something that goes beyond reasoning or understanding. Wait, we knew this guy! He he used to beg down the corner. How can he be walking around? How, How is it he sees? Is this not the man who used to sit and beg? Some said, yeah, that's him. The others said, no, but he's like him. Does this sound like a clearly thinking, alert group of people? It sounds like us on any given Monday morning without coffee. Yeah, yeah, that's him. Uh, I don't know if that's really him. Put a group of people together and they're never going to agree, folks. But isn't that fascinating? I mean, this is an incredible Hollywood script. You've got Jesus walking with the disciples. They see a a blind man begging. And and then here comes the controversy of the bad tradition. All right, what sin has made this man? Jesus says, no sin. No sin. It doesn't always have to be sin. Maybe this was done so God could do His work through this individual. And so He heals him. And there's this incredible healing. That, that, that changes an individual's life. And now the public weighs in on it. Aren't we so good at that? There will be responses like I received last week. There will be responses to this sermon. And the public will weigh in. The most important part is whether or not God will use this. The most important part about this message is whether or not God will use it. The most important part about this healing is that it pointed to the glory of God. But the, the controversy abounded with the neighbors. And the neighbors were saying, ah, it's this guy, this is amazing. Ah, I don't really think it's that guy because I'm skeptical, I'm cynical, and I'm a, I'm a good thinker. And that would be impossible, so therefore it's really not this guy. Don't we do this all the time? says, no, but he is like him. He kept saying, I'm the guy. I'm the guy. I'm the guy. Let me just settle it for all of you. It's me. That's the truth. Let me take the controversy out. Let me take the misunderstanding out. Brothers and sisters, for many of us, we have a challenge with this because God does a healing in our own life, and yet how many of us, when given the opportunity, will give strong testimony? It's me. I'm changed. It's incredible. It's miraculous. Why is this man blind? Is it because of sin? Is it because of generational sin? Jesus said it's so that the works of God might be displayed in Him. The next question for us to be able to get a better grasp on who God is and not have a misunderstanding is this question. What kind of God makes someone blind so that He can just later heal them? 
right? Let's, let's be real. Let's be honest. That's a great question. If, if Jesus says that this man has been blind from birth so that God can manifest His glory, doesn't that sound like an incredibly egotistical God? That this individual would suffer that long to the point of having to beg and have the reputation in town of being the beggar just so that God could promote Himself. That's a fair question. But honestly, the reason we get to that very real and often executed question in various forms is because we're looking at it through our lens, not God's lens. And there's a fascinating discovery in this story that we're going to unveil here that's going to neutralize all of those questions. If you allow it. The reason I have to throw the qualifier is that there's a whole group coming up that even though it's right in their face, even though they can't deny it, according to truth, they still hold to their tradition. Because they would rather hold to their tradition than the reality of an incredibly changed life. They would rather look at God through a distorted lens of their own interpretation rather than the truth of who God is and how God is at work and how God works to save us out of sin and death. FB 3.1.16 or 3.1.6 or whatever your, your handle is. Actually, let me just be clear about this because I feel the conviction. That's not as, I, I, that's, I'm protecting the, the uh, tech world there. That's not his real thing. That's just it's his uh, handle that I gave him. Why would sin, or what kind of God makes someone blind so that he can just later heal him? We require this of God, otherwise we wouldn't pay attention. If everything was as it will be in heaven, there is a history of mankind with God. And what happens is God gives us that blessing. This is an amazing point. God gives us that blessing. Right? So if you're not the individual who's blind, and you want to accuse God of being egotistical, a megalomaniac, because this individual is blind and there's no sin involved, and yet God's, Jesus says, this is so that God's work can be manifested in Him to God's glory. Your response may be, wow, egotistical God. Well, conversely, logic would say, if you really think that that happened that way, then God gave you your sight your entire life. Why would you not praise Him for your sight? If you truly think that way. But we forget about that aspect. We just want to be critical because there's something else lying underneath. And we're going to get to that. There's something else lying underneath that's nefarious as to why we misunderstand God. So we require this of God because God gives us these moments where we have everything. Life is good. And what happens? We forget about God. We stop worshiping God. Because we have everything we need. And our lives are so cluttered with so much. Just like we see the nation of Israel. Just like we see the rich young ruler. That we say we don't have time for God. Brothers and sisters, this relates directly to where we are right now. Many of us have a lot more time on our hands than we've had in the past. Many of us are being able to redeem time with our families that they desperately needed. And now we understand what was being sacrificed. 
as we're having these moments that we had given up, we had surrendered in light of all these things we built into our lives. There's only so much time that we have in a day, but, but here's what's fascinating is that as we build these things into our lives, something's got to give. And Scripture shows us the history of man is that when we are blessed with so much, we no longer work God into our schedule. We have busied ourselves so much and that's where this story is going. Is that the religious leaders, the Pharisees, had busied themselves so much with the law that they had distorted the law and they missed understanding God. I really encourage you, redeem the time. As you and I have been afforded the opportunity to set aside some of these luxuries and things have been stripped back, I've heard this past week about well, I can't wait till things get back to normal. I have a question. Who am I looking at? There's nobody in the room right now. I have a question. What would happen if the internet went down while you're sheltered in place? What would you do? How many Netflix movies have you watched? How much YouTube have you done this week? Rather than filling that time with God. Now many of us have brought back healthy things into our lives. People are actually exercising. They're feeling better for the first time. I don't know if you've heard, but the ozone is now healed and climate change has stopped because man for two weeks has ceased to leave its carbon footprint all over the world. We are redeeming back some things, brothers and sisters. But the challenge is, when we have been given the opportunity to have so much, we forget about God. And I'll take you to the story of, of Lazarus, a personal friend of Christ. And Lazarus died not because of sin of his own recourse, but he died because of the sin of the world and Jesus could have healed him. And here it is, the misunderstood God, even by Mary and Martha, right? That, that Jesus waits. And He lets the disciples know, no, we're not going yet. Not yet. And what's implied in this passage out of John is that Jesus waits just long enough so that Lazarus can die. So that by the time Jesus and the disciples arrive, Mary and Martha greet Him out on the road. Oh, they didn't greet Him. It's almost as if the text says they beat on Him, wailing, saying, why did you wait? You could have healed Him. He didn't have to die. And this is the passage where it says Jesus wept. So FB 3.16 God is not enamored with sin. He is enamored with freeing us from sin. And if you know the rest of that story, you know that Jesus called out to Lazarus, Lazarus, come out. And He brought him out of death. And if you know the story later, they're actually gathered at Lazarus' house. Now, if, if we superimpose ourselves into Lazarus' position, I would almost think we would struggle with bitterness. Really? Really? You used me to teach a lesson? Blind man, Really? You used me to teach a lesson? Could you just play God with somebody else? And can't I have my... 
Here's what's fascinating, brothers and sisters, is that 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 insipid idea comes into our minds and keeps us separated from God. Because we have a misunderstanding of who God is. What's fascinating is Lazarus, Mary, Martha were gathered with Him eating in an intimate fashion later on in the week. There was no bitterness by any of them. Even Mary and Martha who were wailing. And this is where it says Jesus wept. Jesus wept because His friends had to go through this pain, had to go through this suffering, so that you and I would see that Jesus actually has the power over sin and death. Is this because of God or is this because of man? It's because of us. It's because we refuse to simply take truth on its face. We refuse the righteousness of God. We refuse the goodness that it's almost like we have to go through this struggle in order to wake up and see God and see Jesus for who He actually is. Do not conflate God as someone who sits in heaven with a push button to inflict suffering. God inserted Himself into this world to alleviate the suffering. And yet, Romans 8 tells us that all of creation is suffering. And I'll get there here in a moment. Let me lead you back to this question. I I deviated for a moment. Why would sin be associated with this man's blindness? Well, we've already talked about it a little bit. Antiquity has always associated maladies with curses from God or the gods. And not just the disciples' tradition, but all civilizations saw uh, that, that problem. So Romans 8, Verses 20-23, through 23, Paul gives an understanding as to why there is so much brokenness. Why this is happening with the blind man. Why this is happening with Lazarus. Right? And he's, he gives a perspective that is the proper lens to look through. You'll understand my over-exuberance on that point starting next week. Look at verse 20 of chapter 8 in Romans. For the creation was subjected to futility. That word futility is the understanding of frustration. And in essence, sin. It's an eagerness of non-fulfillment. Of being blocked. Of not having an option. And it says, not willingly, but because of Him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain freedom of the glory of the children of God. Paul is saying that because of the sin of one man, Adam, that all of creation is now broken. This is why you have the suffering. This is why you have the sin. This is why you have the challenges in life. But God was not satisfied. To have a true understanding of who God is and Jesus is to see that He inserted Himself as an answer to sin. As an option of freedom from sin. And it goes on and says, For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the firstfruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons. Here it is. The redemption of our bodies. Why is it that we're having this issue with coronavirus? It was interesting. I saw something yesterday in the news where there was a news article 
from 101 years ago in this nation. And that news article was a mandate from, uh, I believe it was a county in the Midwest, where it laid down the rules about the Spanish flu pandemic. No gathering in public, all social meetings, all churches, all restaurants, all eateries, all businesses, um, and, and on and on and on, were to cease meeting above 10 people. Do you wonder where we got this 10 number? People reference back what happened when the Spanish flu came about. Brothers and sisters, the creation is broken. The coronavirus, the Spanish flu, SARS, whatever it is, these are mutations that happen because the creation is broken. But the beautiful illustration of it is that God creates a way for freedom from sin. There will be an antidote for uh, us to escape, and there was for the Spanish flu, there have been. Mankind is still going. Mankind is still going. And so, Romans 8 gives a clear understanding. Turn to Romans 6, and then I'm going to wrap up this morning with the end of the story. And so Romans 6, 20-23, this is in context to FB 3.16, talking about God's uh, obsession with sin in our lives. And so 6, 20-23 says this, For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. You could not know righteousness if you are a slave to sin. But what fruit were you getting at the time from the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. In other words, the end of a lifestyle of sin is death. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, in other words, devoted to God, owned by God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen? And so, in answer to your question, FB 316, God is not enamored with sin. In your tradition, and I'll just share it. No, I won't. In your tradition... The, the theology that you grew up under was very, very focused on sin. But that wasn't because of God. That was because of man's distortion and manipulation for power. And so I apologize. I'm sorry. Because those individuals that, that by your own testimony, were very much the same individuals that we're about to see as we wrap up this story. But be convinced in a clearer understanding of God, it is not God who desires for sin to enslave us. It is God who has said, because man's choices brought sin into the world, now all of creation is frustrated, I am going to personally sacrifice and make a way to give you freedom out of that sin. All of this is illustrated by the healing of the blind man. All of this is to the glory of God. Let's return back to the story. Why is Jesus misunderstood here? Well, it says this. He goes and He washes. So it says, so I, 
I, I went and washed and received my sight. They said to him, where is he? He said, I do not know. In, in reference to these individuals, the crowd, the people of the city, saying, how did you receive your sight? And he talks about Jesus. And then they're saying, where is he? This man doesn't know. He just obeyed and he went and he washed. And now he knows not where Jesus is. It says, they, being the city, brought to the Pharisees, the religious leaders of the day, the man who had formerly been blind. Now it was a Sabbath day when Jesus made the mud and opened His eyes. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Houston, we've got a problem. Whole world, we got a problem. Jewish world, Pharisaical world, we got a problem. So the Pharisees again asked him how he received his sight. And he said to them, he put mud on my eyes and I washed and I see. Some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God for he does not keep the Sabbath. Misunderstood God. But others said, how can a man who is a sinner do such signs? Good logic. Because the Pharisees understood something like this. It had to come from God. The man is right in front of them and they see, they know, they acknowledge. He can see. This is miraculous. And yet the Pharisees are divided in the same room. You can have some people who see the truth clearly. You can see some who wrestle with the logic of the truth. And you can have those who no matter what will deny the truth. Why? Because they misunderstand God. Let's continue. Because it gets better. So the Pharisees asked him again how he received his sight. And he said to them, He put mud on my eyes and I washed and I see. Some of the Pharisees said, This man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. Meaning Jesus. But others said, how can a man who is a sinner do such signs? And there was a division among them. So they said again to the blind man, we're going to go back and ask a second time. Because we just, we're confused. They asked again the blind man, what do you say about him since he has opened your eyes? Now they don't really believe for sure that he's opened the eyes. They're just, it's a rhetorical question. They want to hear what the witness, what the changed person says. And it says this, he is a prophet. Now, you have to understand in that culture, if you say he's a prophet, you're not saying that this person is wise, this person has great statements. It's not an elevation necessarily of the person. What you are unequivocally saying to the religious leaders is this is God's messenger. He speaks for God. He knew exactly what he was saying and to whom he was saying it to. The Jews did not believe that he had been blind and had received his sight. We're right back to square one. Here you have the individual that they know was blind. Here you have the individual saying, I can see. They know he can see. And they ask him again, tell me one more time. And he says, he's a prophet. He's from God. So they're, they're at an impasse. It's either their traditions are wrong or they don't want to... They don't want to believe in the truth of God because the, that truth stands in tension with their traditions. Or maybe there's some other reasoning. But they're willing to sacrifice the truth for their own convenience. And it says the Jews did not believe that He had been blind and had received His sight until they called the parents of the man who had received His sight. Now I'm just going to shortcut this. 
So they go to a second source. They go to the parents. Somebody came up with this great idea. Hey, you know, okay, so this guy's wrong. You know, we got to find a way. We got to have some evidence. We got to have some credibility with our arguments. We can't admit that he's, what he's saying is right because Jesus did something that works against the law. He healed on the Sabbath. That doesn't work in our tradition. Misunderstood God. And so they say, well, let's just go to the parents and we'll get the parents to rat them out. The short story is, the parents knew the pressure because they were part of the synagogue. And they knew that if, if they gave testimony to the truth, with all the pressure that was on them, they would get kicked out of the synagogue. And in that culture, to be kicked out of the synagogue was, well, shelter in place for sure. And so they back out and they offer this great dramatic statement they get the monkey off their back and throw it right back on their own son <laughs> they say he's an adult ask him why are you asking us <clears throat> and so they go back to him again so for the second time verse 24 they called the man who had been blind and said to him give now remember this why did jesus say this happened for this individual. So the works of God would be made known for the glory of God. Here's the irony of the story. Those who refuse to believe, those that are misunderstanding God, they actually say the right words, but it's with distorted lens and distorted intentions. They say, for the second time, they say, give glory to God. In their world, that is religious pressure. That is recant because we speak for God. Not Jesus. We speak for God. So you need to give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. He answered. Whether he is a sinner, I don't know. <laughs> I, I don't know. You know I, this is what I know. One thing I know, that though I was blind, now I see. Why do we have a misunderstanding of God? Because so much of the time, my friends, we do not engage with God on this level. We forget what God has actually done for us in our experiences. This gentleman didn't have the education the Pharisees had. And they let him know that at the end of this story. And so let me finish up so we see the end of the story. Remember, I don't know whether he's a sinner or not. This I know. I was blind and now I see. That is my truth. Now I see God through a clear lens. There is no misunderstanding for me. I know who God is. They said to him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? And he answered them, I've already told you. And you won't listen. Have you ever run into that individual? There's a difference between someone who's seeking after truth and life-changing experience and someone who just has their mind made up and they will not listen. Have you met that person? Sometimes we meet that person when we look in the mirror. So this formerly blind individual says, look, I told you what happened and you're not listening. 
Because you want to form your own distorted truth because you have a misunderstanding of God. So he says, what do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to become his disciples? He's getting a little punchy here. And they reviled him saying, you're his disciple. This is like, this is great. And you did it. No, you did it. No, you, this, is, this is straight out of Hollywood, right? He said, you are his disciple, but we are disciples of Moses. See, there is where God becomes a threat to the tradition. We know that God has spoken to Moses, but as for this man, being Jesus, we do not know where he comes from. And Jesus calls out the Pharisees for this, saying, if you knew the Father, you would know me. We know that God does not listen to sinners. Actually, he says this, the man answered, why this is an amazing thing. He's not speaking about his blindness being healed. He's speaking to the unbelief of the religious leaders. How do we know that? Listen to this. He has no misunderstanding of who God is. And yet the religious leaders of the day do. And why? From the blind, healed man comes the truth. You do not know where He comes from, and yet He opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does His will, God listens to him. Brothers and sisters, that is something we walk away with today. This is a nugget. This is a pill. This is... This is uh, an antidote for us in our spiritual sickness. We want freedom. We want to truly see God the way He is. Understand what the healed man just said. God listens to the worshiper and the worshiper of God who does His will. God listens to Him. Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. If a man were not from God, he could do nothing. They answered him, you were born in utter sin. Here we go again. Here we go again. Here we go again, FB 3.16. Back to the tension of sin and, and doing ad hominem and, and being accusatory and shutting a person down by destroying their character. If we destroy their character, they have no credibility. This is what they tried to do with the healed man, and this is what they try to do with Jesus. Because they hold their tradition in a higher value than the truth of God. Their lens is distorted. You are born in utter sin and you would teach us. And they cast Him out. Why isn't the healed man believed? He says that Jesus is a prophet. We have a fundamental problem. If Jesus did heal, this had to be from God. They couldn't accept that. Let's remember Jesus' very words when challenged on where they saw the problem, which was healing on the Sabbath. Jesus says what? Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. Because Jesus is God, Jesus gets to operate outside of the law, which was imperfect. Remember the statement, give glory to God, that the Pharisees even tried to sound right, and yet they weren't. So understand again, the problem isn't with God, the problem is with man. Man wants to uh, sound correct and wants to say that they have this truth and understanding of God, but sin comes in and distorts everything. The healed man schools the Pharisees in their own rhetoric. 
God does not listen to sinners. God does listen to worshipers. Therefore, this man must be from God. It's basic logic. This morning, the final answer. Faced with the truth versus tradition, the Pharisees choose tradition. You and I were born in utter sin. We're all born in utter sin. We see this reflected in in Romans 6. So, we have to experience that suffering so that we truly desire a good and righteous God who wants to offer us freedom out of that. The question is, where was the real ego problem? It wasn't with God. God sacrificed Himself. God humbled Himself in order to pull us out of our sickness. It was with mankind. Some men. They cast out the one who stood in the face of their system. My question is, who's blind now? Who's blind now? Brothers and sisters, and wrap up this morning, I just want to encourage you. This may be some of your challenge, but you definitely will have opportunity these weeks to share with people around you. Just go to John 9. It's a beautiful, dramatic story, and it gives us everything we need to lay a format, lay a story as to who God is, who man is, and how do you deal with this issue of sickness? I've heard everything this week too. It's the end times. If you think this is the end times, I encourage you to go to Acts 1 and read where the disciples say, when are you coming back? When are all these things going to come to fruition? And see what Jesus says about that. Because what's more important is that if we're really invested, if this is the end time and Jesus is returning, let's not get caught with our Bibles dusty. Let's not get caught with our mouths silent. Let's not get caught misunderstanding who God is because if Jesus is coming back at any moment, that's it. That's all the race we get to run. And then that's all we have to offer to Him. So make it count. When you are asked who is the One who healed you, are you ready to stand up and say, God? Let me close in prayer. We're going to have a closing song as well. And as I do so this morning, um, right after I get done praying, we're going to show a video. And this is just one way, again, that we're going to see some, some great... And we already are seeing some great things happen because the body can't meet together. Uh, we actually have the opportunity to continue to support this ministry uh, through push pay. And so our financial chairman, Andrew Redlick, has put together some instructions on how to do that. Uh, I just want to give you a quick report. God has been working tremendously in this area. Uh, our giving is not down. As a matter of fact, our giving in this past week has almost been in one week what we got the entire month of January. All through our push pay. So God is doing some tremendous things and we're excited about the idea that we're going to use that to manifest His glory. We're going to use that to invest in people's lives all around. And so I encourage you, get signed up. Keep moving in that direction of being a worshiper that God listens to rather than the individual who is a sinner who is just concerned with his own life. Let me, let me pray and then we'll show the video and close with a song. Father, thank You for our time today. Use this story that John saw as vastly important to understanding how 
the world works, how we work within the world, how sin is involved in all of that, and who is God in the midst of that? Help us to have a clear lens, not a distorted one. Help us to see You for Your glory, not our own glory. Father, we pray that this message would cause individuals, whoever hears this, that they would seek after You and the truth of who You are, not a distortion of who men say You are. Reveal Yourself when You walk on by people this week. Use Your church. Let there be healing. Let there be healing for those who have contracted the virus. Let there be healing for those who have other challenges. Let there be healing for those who are going through anxiety and difficulty and separation. Let there be healing. Because we listen to You and we worship You. Father, we pray over the gifts that are coming in that we can take those gifts and use them for those who are in need. Bring that to our attention through our care ministry this week. Thank You, Father. And I pray that as we move day in, day out, that we seek You with a clear lens. To You be all glory, Father. Amen.